are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Austin, and of course, we have Mike here. I am always here, yes. Yes, I am always here as well, usually, most of the time. We've, we've had a couple of listeners contact us questioning if some of our other podcast personalities have died because they haven't been on much lately. And to those of you who listen, I want to say no, everyone is still alive and well. Um, people just get very busy. And in the next couple of weeks, we will make sure that we have uh, some other voices on the podcast. What I hear is people don't like listening to us. I think people love listening to you. I think it's me that they don't like. Mike, like they're, they're all like, Mike's the grumpy one. I mean, sure, he presents some good information, but ugh, is it worth dealing with him to be able to get to Austin? I mean, I'm not that fun. Anyway, so... We don't really have a topic of focus again this evening. We're we, doing another we, witchy rambling. We got some some feedback on the last witchy rambling episode that we did, and people seem to really enjoy that. Yeah, I'm telling you, we're the salty um, witches, therefore we should do salty episodes. Well, I think most of our episodes are reasonably salty. Why does why does our witchy rambling episode have to be? Why does that why is that automatically more salty? Because we're talking about things that are well salty in nature. Well, I don't want to. I, I don't want the witchy rambling episodes that we do just to become like a bitch sesh. I, I want these to still be like informative. Oh, here it is, Mike trying to organize a rambling session. All right, well, let's do it. Are there any topics of interest that you would like to raise this evening, Austin? So many, Michael. Well, go on then. The first one that I want to talk about is that there are people arguing on Witch Talk specifically with herbalists about whether or not it's safe to ingest essential oils. Yeah. All I'm going to say is that if you are a person who ingests essential oil and you are not a master herbalist, nor under the care or of a pharmaceutical herbalist, you are taxing the fuck out of your liver. That's just what it is. It doesn't matter how well you dilute it or anything like that. If you are taking daily supplements that include things like frankincense oil, because doTERRA told you to, or... I'm trying to think of another another popular one. Ginger essential oil and cinnamon essential oil and oregano essential oil on a daily basis to, like, keep your immune system up. Just drink some tea because you are really overtaxing your liver. If you're under the care of an actual, like, medical, pharmaceutical herbalist, awesome. Great. Follow their instructions. Go with it. But there are so many people, and it was it was like several comments of like, well, no, as long as you dilute it, sweetie, and it's like, okay, well, as as an herbalist, and I should clarify, I'm not a clinical herbalist. Okay, the type of herbalist that you want to see when you're looking for something that would be purely medicinal is is a clinical herbalist, and there are actually additional types of education and certification that you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but to, to chime in here as an herbalist, I want to say no experienced herbalist is going to tell you to ingest essential oils. Even if you go and see an herbalist and they tell you, oh, here, swallow this essential oil, a person's a quack. They're full of shit. 
They got no, their certification from the, DoTerra the, and Young Living. Yeah, exactly. They took an Udemy course on herbalism, and now they're a doctor. Exactly. Um, you talk about how these things can overtax the liver, and that's absolutely true. But think of, like, I'm even even just topically, we're talking about, um, like, you're damaging the mucous membranes. You are burning yep. your esophagus potentially. You are da- you are you are causing like like those oils can cause damage all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people don't realize how how powerful how potent essential oils are like they think it's just like like i've had that conversation with people before where they'll come in and they'll be like oh yeah i use orange essential oil blah 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 and it's just and i'm like you know i'm trying to explain to them like like you're yeah, th- this is probably not a good thing you know um and you know and, and they're looking at me like well it's just like drinking a glass of orange juice right and i'm like Ugh, god no like you have no idea how much more potent and concentrated these are okay you know um so anyway yes back to your point <clears throat> let me give you an example as to how potent and concentrated these essential oils are it takes i think a thousand pounds of rose petals to create one dram of rose essential oil when you put a drop of that on your skin, you're effectively covering that portion of your skin in thousands of petals. That does sound kind of cool. It does sound kind of cool. But then we take a look at things like citrus oils. Mm-hmm. If I were to drop some lemon essential oil on the table that we're on right now mm-hmm. and leave it without cleaning it up, mm-hmm. it would eat through. It would dissolve the plastic. Mm-hmm. Well, many of essential oils, I mean, mint essential oil can do that too. Peppermint essential yeah. oil can do that. It's very, yeah. it's very caustic. It's very caustic. And so just think about, that's just, using rose as an example is just how much is required to get that much oil. So if you are ingesting a drop of sweet orange essential oil in your water mm-hmm. for the benefits of vitamin C. And because you just don't like the flavor of water, you are then probably taking in the oil. Like one drop is probably like the oil of one full orange peel into your stomach. So, uh, well, the concentration rate for the essential oils, that, that would actually probably be more clo- or closer like to probably like eight to ten oranges. So, so then on, yeah. so, so you're taking that in. And the essential oil is, is not the, the juice from the fruit of the no, orange. No, it is not. It's most often extracted from the peel. Yeah. And so it is caustic. And so please use your brain before following some pop culture trend on whatever is happening. Just use your brain and do some research. Now, I am someone who... You're someone? I am someone who works a lot with essential oils for, you know, obvious reasons. I use them to make a lot of scent stuff and stuff like that in the shop. Um, And there is a particular oil that I will ingest, but I'm doing it smartly, the way several herbals have said, and I'm not doing it every single day it's peppermint oil and it's basically like one drop to an ounce of a uh, oil base and then i will use that to swish around in my mouth 
Okay. That's it. All right. That's how much I'm diluting it. Okay. And going to Young Living and doTERRA or Butterfly Express Oils who talk about how purity matters. Purity matters. Mm-hmm. Purity doesn't really matter in the sense of ingestion because you shouldn't be ingesting them anyways. Does it seem to you, because this has been my experience so far with essential oils and those who push them in these odd ways, like, I've had a few interactions with people over the years that were like, well, you should just use this oil. You should just put this on your skin. You should just... And without fail, every time I kind of push those people a little bit... They have no they're, knowledge. They're inevitably a doTERRA sales rep. Oh, of course. They're inevitably... Or young living. Exactly. They're inevitably like, okay, so you're not really concerned about my health, really, at this point. You're just trying to make a sale. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of how I've always seen that play out. It's very frustrating because... Uh, like, even when I was going through my courses with Jade Bloom, like, the owner was like, yeah, I mean, you could totally drink a drop of essential oil in your water to help with your stomach, but, like, think about what that's doing. Like, he was very pretty. He was like, yeah, don't do that. You want the benefits of a peppermint, the, the oil of peppermint? Make some peppermint tea. Yeah. Drink some peppermint tea. Yeah. You want the vitamin C benefits of an orange? Just eat a damn orange. Yeah. It's as easy as that. And it's, 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 it's just very frustrating. And so I've seen that. Understandably. Now, uh, tying this into witchcraft, there are people who are selling pretty beautiful essential oil blends mm-hmm. as conjure oils. And that's not what a conjure oil is. And it's very frustrating as someone who does conjure. Um, do to, I, be, to be clear, they're, they're not selling those. Like, these are not... Uh, things are selling for people to ingest. Usually, no, right? these are for okay. for for spell workings. Okay, and you know, basically, what you're doing when you're utilizing the essential oil of a plant is it's the lifeblood of that plant, essentially, and so it will carry that plant spirit. But through the process of distillation, if this person doesn't know where they've gotten their oils or anything like that, there's like no charge there, and so they're selling these things, and they smell really, 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 really pretty. But they've not put any charge into them. They've not done any of the work. And that's really frustrating to me. The power and magic of scent is awesome. Mm -hmm. But a a real witch (coughs) knows that witchcraft doesn't have to smell pretty. Do I strive to make all of my concoctions smell good? Or palatable? Yes. Yes, I do. But I'm also raising power and I know I know what I'm doing with those oils on top of that essential oils are highly flammable so for all you people out there who are just dousing your candles in citrus specifically essential oil and then you're lighting it and you're wondering why it is a pillar of flame that's why also all the herbs that you put on it that you really didn't need to put on it but you know I digress Alright. So that's that's a fir- that, that's something that was really frustrating to me. And it always frustrates me because there's this aesthetic of witchcraft now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone's gonna everyone's gonna go on and they're probably and, and people are probably gonna come for me like, well the witchcraft aesthetic is witchcraft. No the fuck it's not. It's an aesthetic. Can you be a witch and follow a witchy aesthetic? Yes. Yes you can. But wearing a pinnacle and black and having edgy nails doesn't make you a witch. We gotta make fun of my nails. 
<clears throat> that's actually that's actually kind of a good segue because one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I <clears throat> this for me this is a, an issue of frustration, you know. And again, like I said, I don't want this. I don't want this to turn into a bitch sesh, but um, you know. But I that's I've, what we're supposed I've to be doing. Noticed, tonight. I've noticed another like another wave of new practitioners coming into the community again, and I love to see that, right? Because to me, that tells me that there are people out there who are. You know, really, really, they are making those first steps towards being responsible for their own spirituality, which, mm-hmm. you know, which is all about, you know, that's what that's what witchcraft and folk practice and all that's what that's really what it is. It's the core of what that is. But I've noticed that every generation we, we see, we have this issue with the Pinterest witches. Oh, my right? God. And I've had interactions with a few people in the last couple of weeks where it's like, okay, you stop learning your witchcraft from Pinterest. Oh my God! You you talked about aesthetic aesthetic witchcraft, you know. And I'll be the first to say there's nothing wrong with your witchcraft being pretty. No, there's, there's nothing not. wrong with that. But if it doesn't hold power, it's not witchcraft, you know. And you know, and I, I one of the other things that I've noticed with a lot of this this phenomenon, this social media trending, Pinterest, Instagram witchery that seems to be so prevalent now, um, is that it it it's empty. Like there really isn't anything there. When we talk about aesthetic, I think it's good for us to clarify that we're not talking about the physical appeal or the beauty of something. Because we all know, you and I both, we've worked really powerful spells that have been beautiful spells. Oh yeah. You know, but but I think it's it's the aesthetics in the sense that it, there's nothing beyond the the look. Right, it's kind of like that, like you know, it's like it's I guess it's like a concept that we see with people, right? Like you can see somebody who can be a beaut- a gorgeous person, but they, but they're they're vapid, they're shallow. There's really not much more to them. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's a good thing God made you pretty because there's really not much more to you, yeah. right? You know, and I find it's the same with practice around these kinds of things, right? So, you know, if what you're doing doesn't isn't helping you to grow in some way, if there isn't any depth to what you're doing, again, that's not witchcraft. That's a hobby. Yeah. You know, I, you know, and there are lots of other things that you can do. Go get another hobby for God's sake. You know, don't try to, don't try to make spiritual practice. That can't be a hobby for one thing. Beyond that, you know, if you're not really getting the benefit of the growth and the learning and the transformative properties of spiritual practice, then all you're, all you're doing is basically just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, like just, just take up scrapbooking for God's sake. Right. Anyway, so that was one of the other things that I... A.K.A. <clears throat> Book of Shadows creation. Well, there you go. Yes, except... What was the one I saw recently? They weren't calling it a Book of Shadows. It was... Um, it was like, oh, God, it was some lightworker person that I was interacting with who was talking about... A manifestation journal. I think that's what it was, yes. I think it was a manifestation journal. Oh, and my I, God. I, I kind of wanted to barf in my mouth a little bit. I was like... Oh, it gives me indigestion. Like, yeah. It's like, lady, you make me feel like I just drank a bottle of cinnamon essential oil with this nonsense. Ugh. It just um, makes me gassy. <clears throat> anyway. So, yeah. So, that was one of the things that I was kind of like, ew. Like, can we just stop now? You know? And, and again, I, there's nothing wrong with the aesthetic. Yeah. It's that's not all your witchcraft should be getting together with your friends dressing up like witches Mm -hmm. and lighting off smoke balls Mm -hmm. in a cauldron and taking pictures in your local park and going we're the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn which is such bullshit um or, or, or we're, the, we're the daughters of the witches you didn't burn, or what the fuck ever. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not witchcraft. No. 
know. Well, and there will be people out there that will hear us say, you know, that's not witchcraft, and they will certainly disagree, and that's and that's okay because everyone is entitled totally to their opinion. Entitled to disagree, but, and but your if what opinion you're doing, is entitled to be wrong. Yes, and if what if what you're doing is not giving you means to grow, and your your work does not actually hold power, you can't call it witchcraft, because that's what witchcraft is. It's growth. It's knowledge. It's power. And if anybody disagrees on those three points or the, those three qualities that are inherent or necessary to witchcraft, go back to church. This leads me to something that, that, that was bothering me today because we both have TikTok presences. No. What's TikTok? And there are people who like to chime in who have been practicing for six years and they didn't cast a spell until like year three and I'm like so you've been casting spells for three years which means you've effectively been a practicing witch for three years the, those other three years you were reading books and yeah, so being like, too yeah, scared so, to actually yeah, do anything yeah, so, yeah, so prior to that like before they actually put any of the knowledge they were gaining into practice they were basically just like an armchair occultist yeah and and, and that, that, that frustrates me because uh, we're both teachers of witchcraft and I always tell my students, if you're too afraid to light a candle because Oogie Boogie might get you, or you might fuck up, it might backfire, then you probably don't need to be a witch. Because those fears are always going to negatively impact your working. So would you say to our listeners, like, as another another bit of advice from an, an experienced witchcraft practitioner, that the process of witchcraft is also something that should put us in a position to face and challenge our fear? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. On top of that, how are you learning how to... How are you teaching if you just barely cast your first spell? If you just barely, three months ago, cast your first spell, and it was not just a spell, it was a pretty-looking pink Himalayan salt spell jar for self-love, and that was your first spell, and now you're teaching people how to do baneful work? Well, I think Excuse also, me? There's, there's, this, this kind of also takes us back around to the whole concept of... Um, the way that people are, are are actually practicing, you know, and so you know, and I uh, practice I, implies doing. Well, no, 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 no. Well, that's not what I'm saying. So you know, I guess what I'm well, saying. That's what, what I'm I, saying. What I was going to touch upon. Well, I mean, and yes, and that's true. But I guess what I was going to say is I've noticed this again. There's some confusion, particularly in newer practitioners. But I'm honestly, I'm surprised at how commonly I see this in more experienced practitioners people who like they've done this for years they've been doing spell work for years you know and i and the conversation comes up as at some point with some of these people about um that they they put everything together you know they they do the they have all the ingredients they've you know they've timed it to the right phase of the moon whatever mm -hmm. whatever it is right you know and then they sit down and they think that just by putting all their stuff together into a jar or whatever like boom there's my spell you know they don't do anything to raise any power they don't do anything to direct any of that that power, mm -hmm. will, and intent toward a particular purpose. They don't, like, there's no real, um, they don't really put anything of themselves into that working, you know? And then, and then again, they wonder why maybe they don't see anything manifest. And it's like, well, you know, you basically, you put a whole bunch of ingredients, you know, in a bowl, and you whipped it up, and, and you put it in a pan, but you forgot to turn the oven on. 
you know? And so there's no cake, right? Which makes me sad because, you know, I always want cake. I love cake. Um, anyway. So, yeah, so I just thought that was, you know, kind of touching upon what you're going at there. Well, and, and we look at this, like, witchcraft is a craft. And just like any other craft that you do, you, you have to implement it. Utilizing something that I'm also very familiar with, music, in the voice studio, in your first voice lesson, you don't just sit and talk about how the larynx will move, how it will tilt up and down whilst you are trying to phonate at a higher and or lower pitch. That's not all you do in your first lesson. You sing, you work, you do the things. And you know, everyone does learn differently. I, I do believe that. There are people who have to learn by doing, and there are people who have to observe mm -hmm. and then, you know, do it again. But even then, even when we see that in witchcraft, it's still, you're, st you're still having to do it. You still have to do it. And just like with music and in voice, you still have to do it. You, you still have to do the exercise. Even if I demonstrate the exercise for you, you now still have to do it. Me doing it is not doing it for you. That's not how that works. And even in witchcraft, that's how it is. So for all of the new witches out there, cast that spell you've been wanting to cast. You've probably read plenty of fucking books and read plenty of Pinterest and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok articles and shit on it. So do it. And raise power when you do so. How do I raise power, though? Can it be like silent focus meditation? Sure. Maybe dance. A silent focus meditation, I find, is really... That's, that's not going to allow you to maintain... No, to that doesn't power. raise power. That directs um, focus. Yeah, like, like to raise power, you really... You need to get some emotion flowing. You need to, you need to physically mm -hmm. move your body. You know, if you're familiar with any kind of spiritual allies, you know, you want to call those allies in. Like, you mm -hmm. need to... You well, know, if, ideally, when you're done doing a, a spell or a working, you're you're physically you're gonna feel a little tired. Let okay. So again, science. Science. In order for the water to boil, heat must be applied. In order for heat to happen, molecules must be moving fast. Slow molecules do not create heat. Mm -hmm. They are stable. Yes. The faster molecules and particles move, the more friction is created, therefore more energy is released, therefore creating the heat that boils the water. So you want to do a spell, don't just sit and silently focus and hope that it works. Do something. Do yeah. it. Get up. Move. Clap. Dance. Chant. Sing. I don't know. Like... And then, head and, then, and then get up after you've done that working, and if at all possible, do something in a mundane way to, that would mirror the effort of your working. Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of a good cross or good bridge to the next thing that I, I would like us to address on this episode. We're, we're having this conversation again a lot lately about the importance of mundane over magical. Oh, Lord. You know? And I think it's a very easy trap for all of us as practitioners. And again, this is nothing that I see happening strictly within like newer witches practices. These kind of, This is something that all of us deal with. I, I witches, you know, you know, decades into their practice and, and the, some of the most knowledgeable people I know will have moments where they will fall back mm -hmm. on 
magic over mundane, magic over mundane. Well, I, I, I'll say this: the um, the newer generation of witches has been better at implementing mundane practice and mundane efforts in tandem with magical practice. And I think part of that is because um, they're probably coming from a more mundane place. And so, you know, they know that in order for them to get a job, they have to, like, apply. Well, I think that a lot of that, you know, the where younger practitioners are more inclined to, to support the effort of, of the mundane uh, over the magical or in tandem with the magical effort. Um, I think a lot of that also has to do with the way that we've seen our, our culture and our society change. We, you know, we have, um, I, you know, this is, in no way do I want this to sound like a bad thing, but, but we have, I think, um, with, you know, things like internet, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of the current political climate with everything being so PC all that now i think that we are um we're kind of reprogramming the way that we think we're open to new ideas we're open to looking at things from perspectives that we wouldn't have many many years ago you know which i think overall just kind of expands our awareness of kind of where we need to be and our responsibility in certain situations in our lives right mm-hmm. um, beyond that we also have a much more robust spiritual community now you know you'd have people 30 years ago um, who there was no support for witches. There was yeah. no support for any of this, right? You know, and you know, and it was easier, I think, in that situation if you found that you were involved in spiritual, uh, magical practice, excuse me, magical practice, to you know, to to go extreme into the magic and you know, and to completely float away from the mundane, right? Because you didn't have a community around you that was helping to show you like you can have both, mm-hmm. like you, these both can work, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just I've I've kind of have noticed that a lot lately, and I. I just um, it upsets me because I think that inevitably we we set ourselves up to fail when we do that you know where you can work every spell you want to get a new job but unless you get up off of your ass and actually go and put in an application or send out a resume you're not opening the door exactly you're not opening the door for the this the energy of the spell that you've Mm -hmm. worked to help you to land that job exactly well I mean let's let's take a situation that we're, we're both familiar with at this point um, we, we, we know various individuals who where it's like, I really don't like dealing with this person. What kind of spell can I do to get rid of them? And the response that I give them is tell them you don't want to deal with them. Tell them you don't like them and tell them to leave you alone. I don't want to deal with a conflict. I need to do a spell. Okay. So do a spell, but then have that conversation you will see that conversation move a lot more smoothly. You've put a spell behind it. Mm-hmm. Instead of just trying to hurl bolts of magic at something, and then inevitably it just blows up. Well, I guess the, this might be where a moment where you and I, maybe we, we differ just a little bit in our opinion on this. Because I, I think that there are situations where you know you've, you've tried... You've asserted boundaries. You've done everything that you can to actually handle okay. whatever that might be in a mundane way. But because of the other side of that situation, mm-hmm. you're dealing with circumstances like this This person's not going to budge. Mm-hmm. They're not going to change their mind. Well, the circumstances around this, whatever it may be on a mundane level, are not really capable of change. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, we probably then, oh, then I think it is fair mm-hmm. for us to cross over. Into the magical. And handle the magical. Yes, and I agree with that. That's exactly what I'm saying. You need to have those conversations first you need to make those efforts first instead of just jumping right to 
magic. Okay, but if you if you're looking at a situation though, and you can see in advance, like I'm not dealing with somebody here who is okay, but going to work with me on this okay. in a mundane way. Okay, but have you already tried it the mundane way first? If you have not tried it the mundane way first, then bring the magic in, because you never know how someone might react. You might. We will usually because we're psychic, but we still need to utilize that. Um, we still need to utilize that. If I don't want to, if I don't want to deal with someone, I'm going to tell them as kind as I possibly can. I don't, you know, this isn't a thing. Like, I don't want to deal with you. And if they're just not getting it after I've had that conversation, then I'm going to do something to encourage them to leave amicably. But again, it's just like addiction. You cannot use magic to fix and cure addiction if the person who is addicted to something is not going to rehab. Yeah. You can throw magic at them and they might get better for a minute, but mm -hmm. then boom, they're right back in. Yeah. Someone's talking shit on you and you know what? How about you actually confront them? You know they're probably going to deny it, yeah. but at that point, they've denied it, and now they're energetically in debt to you, which is going to make your spell pop off even better. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it comes down to, for many people, like, you know, the fear of the confrontation, or... Um, what is it you always say? Fear has no place in witchcraft? Well, absolutely. But we're not necessarily talking about witchcraft in that situation, are we? We're talking about the mundane aspect of that situation. What's there to fear so. about that? Well, sometimes it can be not only uncomfortable, but sometimes, depending on who you're interacting with, like, sometimes you've got people maybe who for whatever reason are unstable well, yeah, but who, life is are, who are not going to react in an, in an appropriate way or in a good way I think people particularly people people maybe who have had past instances of trauma or, or abuse like it can be particularly triggering or even more difficult for them to approach someone and say and, and to assert a boundary right so in those situations I'm not saying that you still shouldn't make the effort to do that you know but I think that that, that would for me that would I think be, be very much a gray area you know, interpersonal reactions or connections, but you know, between us as human beings, I think are always, um, there, there's always a little bit of a gray area there when it comes to, okay, how much magic do I potentially want to use of this? Right? Almost definitely. You know? And so, yeah, so, you know, it's, like, it's just something that we need to be, you know, we need to be, be circumspect about that, right? Or mindful of that and understand that people are going to want to handle certain things in a certain way, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. Or go ahead and hurl magic at it and see what happens. Well, you know, I mean, and you know, and I, I guess if we're being completely open in the discussion that we're having, you know, it doesn't necessarily hurt to do that, no. right? But, um, but yeah, but I, I think you are right, though. We we've got to make sure that we are um, anchoring our magical efforts with the mundane for a number of other reasons, because in a lot of those situations, it isn't just about the person doing the working and the the focus for their working or what they want to achieve, right? We also have to to recognize that we live, we we work with. Uh, all of these spiritual energies, mm -hmm. okay, and whether you believe in gods, whatever kind of spirit, right, whatever whatever it is that you may believe in, we do understand that on some level that these energies that we work with, that there is an intelligence there, right? And because of that, we very often have these other forces, these other beings, intelligences, spirits, whatever you want to call them, that are also kind of watching these situations, mm -hmm. that are watching us, and they're and they're watching us in that situation, right? They're looking at us like, okay, well, you've sent this energy out now to try to manifest this change and uh, yes this this can work for you 
but we also need to see that you are willing to handle this in a human physical yes. mundane way we're happy to help you with this you know but you you also you need to take some you know you need to, to to handle this this way too so i think that you know that's one of the other pieces we need to consider when we look at the dynamic of the mundane over the magical i also know that that when we look at falling back completely on the, the magical and we don't handle things in a mundane way we are also in that situation we're guilty of spiritual bypass yeah you know we're we're choosing to to let the ether or the spirits or whatever like take care of our problem mm -hmm. and in the process of not maybe having a conversation or doing something on a mundane level what we're in essence what we're doing is we're, we're ducking our, our personal responsibility mm -hmm. we're for prolonging the inevitable inevitable so, growth and lesson we must learn yeah so yeah so those are those are all important pieces i think in a situation like that and, agree and, and, you know and of course like i said there's 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 gray area there well, it's and just every like, situation will be different well it's just like people who jump right to curse curse yeah curse hex curse yeah. curse yeah. hex curse every single time something has inconvenienced them yeah and it's it, it truthfully that shows such a level of not just emotional but magical immaturity to me that it's like really you can't find another way like you want to use magic on the situation okay mm. you can't think of any other possible route to take on how to handle this you just want to mm. curse yeah. curse 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 Cursey, hexy, curse, hex, hex, hex. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay. So. Well, I think that works the other way, though, too, because not only do you see that happening with people who are, like, their first instinct is to issue a curse or a hex, mm -hmm. but you also see that happening, I think, with a lot of people when they, they have a run of bad luck of some sort and they immediately jump to, oh, yes. I've been a hex or I've been cursed. Oh, of course. You know, and it's like, well, you know, maybe not. You know, like you think somebody cursed you and you think because of that your relationship fell apart. But if you look at the last several months of your, your behavior mm -hmm. as a relationship partner, you've done this, 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 and this that would probably break up any relationship. Yep. So once again, how are you avoiding your responsibility for this situation? How are you trying exactly. to bypass? So I find that that's something that, that again, kind of goes both directions there. Um, but, but again, I think in general, it's something that we always need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to talk about tonight, okay, and again, and this is this is not something that I'm trying to be, be salty or to, to, to be negative about. We are okay? literally it's the salty just, witches. It's just something, well, we've been salty. Be enough, salty. So we've been salty enough so far. Um, but, but one of the things I would like to talk about, and I'm noticing this popping up again, um, and of course this is another social media phenomenon, right? Mm. This, is, this is very often how these things happen. I, there are moments where I, I go back and forth where I'm like, okay, social media I think has been a, a wonderful thing for the alternative spiritual communities that exist, the witchcraft communities that exist, because it has allowed us to share information in ways that we never would have been able to. Mm -hmm. It has allowed so many people to be able to establish community in a way that they never would have been able to. But I, I also, I, I lament the influence of internet and social media a lot too, because where we see this as a venue for information, we also see this as the venue for all of the misinformation yes. that is out there. And, you know, and we see uh, other issues, you know, it's one, one of the big things that we have to learn is, which is, is that we have to learn to assert or how to assert healthy boundaries mm -hmm. on, again, both a mundane and a magical level, 
right? And um, and I'm not talking circle casting, just to be clear, okay? But um, but we have to learn these things. And the phenomena that we see now with the internet and social media, specifically around like parasocial relationships, I think it puts a lot of people, particularly again, inexperienced practitioners in the situation of thinking, well, these people who follow me are my friends, or this person that I've connected with on whatever app or platform is, is someone I can trust. And it's like, okay, you've known this person for a month. Mm -hmm. You've had maybe a total of three conversations. They've gone in and they've liked several of your tweets or whatever the hell it is you do, right? That does not equate to a friendship. No, it does not. Okay, you know, but what I'm what I'm getting at specifically is I'm noticing that a lot of people are sharing information online that they probably shouldn't be. And what I've noticed most recently is people sharing pictures of their altars. Like they're working altars. You've got witches out there who will have, you know, like and they'll and they'll have some of them in these pictures, they've got a spell going. Like there's a candle burning and there's and you can see what's on that altar, you know, and you know, and for the most part I wanna say this really isn't that big of an issue. But I know as someone who's done this for a long time, you too. We, we've done this for a long time and I know when I see a picture of someone's altar and there's a working on that altar it takes me 30 seconds based on what I see on that altar to know this is what this spell is mm -hmm. these are the ingredients that they use and oh look they have a statue of this deity and they've got oh this over here and this over here if I were a wicked witch if I were someone who decided for some reason to try to ruin that person's day they have given me everything, everything. I need yep. to know what to do to make that happen and you know and I'm not saying I would do that but there are practitioners out there who would mm -hmm. and you know and particularly if you're doing workings for other people if you are maybe working in some degree or, or capacity as a professional mm -hmm. spellcaster, you need to be even more mindful of this because then not only is that your altar, but that's someone else's energy. Yep. Okay. And if you're running a business, you need to be even even more careful about this because you will have competitors. Mm -hmm. If you are running a spiritually focused business, sooner or later you're gonna run afoul of someone out there who has an ego bigger than their magic or has something that they feel they need to prove, they get competitive, they get territorial. And if you are sharing these components of your practice, you've given that person everything they need to create trouble for you. And so I've noticed that lately, and in no way do I say, I'm not trying to, 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 to shame anybody or critique anybody or make people feel bad if they've done this, because I know, I know what it feels like, particularly when you really get going with your spell casting practice. And I know how fun it can be and I know how empowering it can feel. And you just want to share that mm -hmm. with everybody, right? You want people to understand it, to share, right? But but you do, again, you've got to be so careful mm -hmm. about that. You know, there, there are people out there that will take advantage. Mm -hmm. Well, and Mike and I are not innocent, innocent in this. We've shared we've shared pictures of altars and workings that we've done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done it too. And I, I But I will say I'm always... Careful I'm, I'm and caref cautious. Yes, I'm careful to make sure that if I share something, that it will usually be just the details of a of a general working mm -hmm. that would probably be impacting whoever it is that might be seeing it anyway. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sharing the details of a particular working with just the person who is receiving the benefit of that spell. Mm -hmm. You know, and in that situation, I feel they have a right to see what's going mm -hmm. on. 
right? Um, well, I and I've even shared pictures so. of alt, uh, of my altar on on, yeah. on my social media. Yeah, I've noticed that recently, and that that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of like, oh, this is kind of getting into not a very good area. It's here. in a what great area, but I don't have any spells working on it. Okay, yeah, well, and that's fine. And quite frankly, here's my counter to that. I know my spirits. I trust that my spirits will have my back. And just because someone sees my altar and they're like, I don't like what you posted. I'm going to hex you. My spirits have an equal way of getting to them as well. Well, in that situation, I, I, I think that would be... And if that makes me sound arrogant, then yeah, I'm fucking arrogant well, as shit. I mean, it does probably make you sound a little arrogant. But, but I also know that because of the way that we do our work and because of the... Uh, we are as witches. Um, you and I are... Uh, like uh, like other practitioners here, we're we're very public, mm-hmm. right? We don't uh, we don't hide who we are. We don't hide what we do. Correct. We're very well known in our local community here for what we do as witches, you know. Um, and because of that, I think that we're we're in a little bit of a different place. We because we are public and very open about our our experience, our our practice, and even even you know we talk so openly about being hecatean practitioners right i mean we don't really hide any of those things yeah. you know and so for us i think that we're we're in a slightly different uh situation there with that mm-hmm. um you know but, but again I, I do also want to say like you know like there there is something to be said or there is there is some benefit to um maintaining secrecy. a little bit of mystery and secrecy yes. around your practice i mean if we look at the what is it the witch's pyramid yeah, to know to, the, yeah. to know to dare to will to keep silent, and I, you know, I'll be completely honest. I'm I'm not really a big, I mean, I'm not really a big proponent of the witch's pyramid. You know, I think to me that actually is something that um, was again one of these things that was really primarily introduced to witchcraft by high ceremonial practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is fine, nothing wrong with that. But um, you know, but I, I I don't always know that those those four pillars of the the witch's pyramid are um, applicable given the tradition and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know, you know, but I, I think it is, it's it's good for us, I think, to maybe be a little, like, it's it's okay to withhold, you know? Beyond that, I think I see a lot of another situation, kind of the other side of this, where it seems to me that so many of the, like, so much of the sharing of information, you know, and the sharing of pictures of altars, that a lot of that actually, to me, it seems performative. Mm-hmm. And it seems, um, like, this isn't Shallow. really, this isn't really about you, living your craft and enjoying this this is about no, this is about getting satisfying your ego yes and you know and trying to build a community around yourself you know mm-hmm. and if and if you want to do that that's okay but in that situation that doesn't really make you a witch at that point you're trying to be a cult leader yep you know and there's a big difference there yep you know so um yeah so just again something that i've noticed lately that i'm like we should probably talk about this and i, I think it, it's it's a good a benefit to people who listen to the podcast you know to, to you know to really think about that to do, do be considered about what you're putting out there um you know what you're making so readily available for others to see yeah so i don't know I also thought it would be kind of cool for us maybe to touch upon Hecate a little bit tonight. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that we're Hecatean witches. And, you know, and those who have listened to the podcast prior episodes will already know mm-hmm. this about us, right? Because you and I, we never shut up about her. We just love her so much. I love mom. Um, you know, but we've been talking about her. You and I both actually have been talking about her, um, I would say, somewhat consistently over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, well, I even, last night, whilst the divination study group was going on, I had a customer in here, uh, a little bit later, okay. uh, then, then close, um, because they were talking to me about how they saw keeping her keys and they were terrified of starting to work with it. Because again, 
apparently Hecate scary. And all I can say is if, if you have felt a pull to Hecate and you have that innate fear in your gut that like, uh, good work with her. Mm -hmm. Lean into that fear. Lean into it. Lean into that fear. Because that fear is probably your resistance to healing. Mm -hmm. Your fear on working with her is that, is that, is that resistance to being told, yeah, no, this is wrong. You're not doing it right. And that's okay, but still it's wrong. Yeah. You know? And with the current culture of witchcraft, which is intention is everything. Meh, 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 meh. Everyone does it differently. It doesn't matter. Do what you Gross. want. You're, you're driving me crazy with that voice. Um, Hecate is so feared because you're going to put together that cute little jar spell and put the, the salt in it and then fill it with the wax. And I know I should on jar spells a lot. I've done jar spells. Like I, I'm not opposed to bitch. You've done them too. I've seen them. Um, and, but you know, if you're trying to do a money spell and you're like, I'm going to put salt in here to protect my finances and you get that feeling of like, yeah, that's wrong. And your immediate response is, I don't like that, so I'm not going to work with this goddess. You're the issue, not her. If you're not teachable, Hecate's not for you. If you are teachable, and you want to grow, and you want to learn, and you want to heal, Hecate is for you. And I personally think Hecate is for everyone. I would agree. With, with her many epithets, I think there's something going on with her that would appeal to pretty much anybody. Yeah. So, um... I don't know, you know, I just, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, called to maybe talk about her a little bit because I, I'm noticing, uh, again, that she's kind of trending, mm-hmm. you know, and as, as that often happens, you know, um, she's very much, I think, in the, um, this is going to sound douchey and, um, and uh, pretentious, but she's very much, I think, in the zeitgeist uh, for humanity. I think she's very... Um, She's kind of at the forefront, I think, again now with a lot of different spiritual communities because mm-hmm. of, as always, because of what we're dealing with, I think, on a human level. Yep. Right? She's one of these goddesses that, again, is so commonly associated with, uh, you know, uh, political movements or, yep. or societal advances, you know, just humanity in general. Right? And I think anytime we have a situation where we're seeing, um, you know, like, like right now we still have the war in the Ukraine. Right. And all of the people that are suffering as a result, you know, we have, um, you know, here in our own country, a situation where politically we still seem to be so horribly divided as, uh, you know, as Americans, you know, um, and I think because of the societal issues around a lot of that, you're, you're seeing that Hecate is kind of like, like this, this is what I'm here for. Like, this is what I do, you know, and I'm here to kind of help those who are trying to turn the tide against some of these oppressive Mm -hmm bad kinds of situations I'm here to help you you know and so I think that's why she continues to, to be of relevance to so mm-hmm. many people um, but I just I've noticed that she's being talked about a bit again a bit mm-hmm. quite commonly and I have an interest as a Hecatean practitioner to make sure that some of that conversation is truly informative yes because there's a, again as you were just saying a lot of misinformation out there so much misinformation her. there's this information out there that she is this haggard old crone and da 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 and she is the maiden mother crone and, and the person that was in the shop the other day um, uh, yesterday, they were talking about how like I got her tattoo, got her symbol tattooed on me before I even knew what it meant, and I was like, oh, the Strophilos, and they're like, no, the the Maiden Mother Crone symbol, 
And I kind of chuckled, and I was like, <laughs> it's not her symbol. And yeah. they were like, it's not? And I was like, no, that is... Are you talking the triple moon? Yeah. Okay. I was like, gotcha. that's not her symbol. Though it has become associated with her, she is not a maiden mother crown goddess. Mm-hmm. And the response is, but she's a triple goddess. And I was like, yeah. yes, but she's a triple goddess in the original aspect, not the Wiccan aspect or yeah. the white goddess aspect, as yeah. presented by whoever the fuck wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Who wrote that book? The white, the white goddess. The white goddess. Oh god, I don't remember now. Eh, whatever. Some it's stuffy English. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a shit book anyway. Um, well, I mean, there's some good stuff in there, I guess. Eh. It's, it's, it's not a fun book to read. Um, but she, uh, she was asking like, well, what is she? How, how is she a triple goddess then if she's not a maiden mother crone? And I was like, life, death, rebirth, mm-hmm. land, sea, sky, mm-hmm. the celestial realms, the realms of earth and the underworld. Yeah. All of these things are triple formations, mm-hmm. past, present, future. You know, these are all triple aspects. And to convolute and dilute what is Hecate and who is Hecate down to <laughs> maiden mother crone is not only disrespectful yeah. and grossly uneducated and misinformed, but for someone who would claim to be a traditional witch, that's mighty Wiccan of you. It's funny how Wiccan things pop up. I was having an interaction with someone today actually about Hecate uh, because I was teaching some people or I was talking about um, how she's very often depicted wielding a knife. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people uh, misunderstand, you know, that she, why, why is she carrying a knife? Is this because she's, you know, is she going to hurt you? Like, is this, you know, like, is she, you know, what's the knife for? Like, is she, you know, is she violent? Is she aggressive? You know, and, um, you know, and yeah. And so when I was explaining to them that the knife that she wields is actually supposed to represent one of her earlier aspects as a, a goddess of midwifery and how the knife was rep- a representation of cutting the umbilical cord at birth or after the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it has a lot of other associations. Mm-hmm. Right. But I had someone um, contact me, somebody who was speaking with me that was saying like, um, well, I mean, uh, I wouldn't... Basically, the, the tone of the conversation was that they were there, like, well, I, I wouldn't use a ritual dagger to cut something, like, in my work. I, I would always go back to her. I would use a boleen. And, you know, and I, I had to laugh for just a minute at that. I was, I was thinking, like, oh, my God. <sighs> Where outside of Wicca in contemporary practice are you going to see someone making this distinction between a ritual dagger and a boleen? And so it just it made me laugh. You know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what this person, you know, what they said there, because there isn't. You know, that's their own practice, and it's fine. It's it's good. But um, but I was looking at that, and I was thinking like, okay, we're not talking about Wicca, and we're not talking about some old of the English craft, the old English craft where you see these terms originally brought up. We're talking about like actual traditional witchcraft. Um, and folk practice and folk practice and in those traditions you're not going to find that you had a special dagger for just this thing no you 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 had a dagger you had a dagger you know it's sharp it's pointy it cut exactly it has job it do job very well and i think the whole thing with the bowling again to be honest to me that that really it reeks of this elitist high magic practice that was brought into wicca from prior associations with the the order of the golden dawn you know where we where we do see where we do see this understanding like you have special ritual tools just for this thing Mm -hmm. and that is very much a case of high magic practice absolutely you know and you would never use uh you would you would never think to use okay this is my special ritual dagger like you would never use that dagger for anything else correct okay but if you're like the folk witch living in the middle of the woods somewhere 
You're oh, going to no, use you, a knife. Yeah, you go grab if, your fucking kitchen knife. you have you a just knife, cook, you use a knife. You just cut your, you know, your, your exactly. dinner up. Yes, with. exactly. And there was no, there, there didn't need to be mm-hmm. a distinction. The power was the same. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I just, I got kind of a little bit of a giggle around that. And I was like, oh my God, these Wiccan things do continue to trickle in. Well, they continue in, to trickle in. And the reason they continue to trickle in, and this is something that we, that, that we, we're, we're going to talk about now because you brought it up. Um, the reason they continue to trickle in is because with the resurgence of witchcraft, um, as it came more into light, thank you, Gerald Gardner, most definitely. Um, as this came into light, that's what witchcraft was. We didn't people have thought. people thought that was that was the public face. Of that witchcraft. was the public face of witchcraft. And Gerald Gardner, I will say this: um, between Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente, they were all about making sure that witchcraft was shown in a positive light. Oh, yeah. Because it wasn't until, what was it, the late 60s? I think, early I think was, 90s I think like when the, early... the witchcraft laws were upheld? Well, it depended on the country. You know? And, and, and so they always made sure witchcraft was seen in a positive light. And though I am no longer Wiccan... I can appreciate what those two pioneers did for well, us. Well, and, and I'm going to be really clear. When I say that these Wiccan elements continue to trickle into other practices, I, I'm not trying to trash Wicca. I, you know, Wicca is fine, but I but we, we continue to see this um, this confusion. It's the it's the same conversation that we're having now about how to identify different practitioners, mm-hmm. right? Because we we're witches. Yep. You know, and for the sake of our podcast, when we start to talk about these things, very often. We just fall back on the term witch. Yep. Right? But we understand. We absolutely understand. We are absolutely aware and appreciate that in many traditions, say like like many of the the ATRs, the African traditional religions, um, you know, we've got the traditions that that are coming, you know, from the South, right? We've got like, you know, like uh, Santoria, Mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of things. You you don't want to be called a witch. You don't use that word witch. Right, you know, and so and, and that's and that's and that's that's wonderful. That's a well, good even thing in, because even in Mediterranean traditions, even in Italian yes, traditions, yes, stregeria, stregoneria, strega. These are words and terms that are insults in those languages, in those yeah. practices. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want beliefs. to be referred to as a strega in Italy. No, because one, yeah. that would be misgendering me. My pronouns are well, not, well, not just that, but you also that there there still is in many of these cultures this superstitious or this association of oh the witch is evil. Mm-hmm. You know the the curandera or the folk practitioner or the shaman or the fotukieri or whatever title mm-hmm. it might Benefic- possibly be uh, uh, Benefic- the Benefic- the, benef- the benedante, benedante or the, like the mudang like mm-hmm. the, these people they're okay mm-hmm. because they do good things but the witch they always use their magic to harm yep you know and there still is kind of this belief about that you know so anyway so getting back to my point you know where what I was saying earlier I just I think that we um, you know, we can say, we can step up and we can say, this is something that is derived from Wicca. This is a component of the Wiccan religion. Mm-hmm. This is not traditional witchcraft. And in the process of having that discussion, we need people to realize that it does not mean that we are now shitting on Wicca. Mm-hmm. Wicca is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and on top of that, a lot of the stuff that is in Wicca is vastly misappropriated or appropriated. Yeah. And so even when you're talking about what would be traditionally Wiccan, yeah. chances are that came from someplace else. Well, what's your, Gerald Gardner didn't have an original idea in his goddamn head. Well, what's your, I'm curious, what's your take on that? Because, you know, one of the things that you and I have, um, 
we haven't disagreed on this. Like, this hasn't been a disagreement. But I think that when this has been a conversation that's come up, I think that there's a moment here and there where I will say something that will seem to be overly critical of Wicca. Mm-hmm. And you are very quick to kind of chime in on a lot of those situations and be like, well, wait a minute, no. You know, and there's a part of me that's like, well, he's still got just enough Wiccan in him and he doesn't like it when I say this kind of shit. And that's okay. But my point is, there have been a couple of times, and, I, and I'm going to throw out a name here, okay? And I, the, and I want to be very clear. Like, I think more... Uh, Thorn Mooney is wonderful. Yes. I, I have a lot of respect for her work. She's very intelligent, and I and I think she's definitely a necessary voice in the local, yes. uh, in, the, in the contemporary pagan and witch community, mm-hmm. um, Wiccan community. Um, but one, one of the things that I think I, I, or I shouldn't say but, I should say and, one of the things that I appreciate her is she's been very open and honest in recent years mm-hmm. with much of her writing, a lot of the speaking that she's done about all of the issue with misappropriated, stolen, colonized information that has shown up in Wicca historically and how they're now in the process of trying to like kind of decolonize Wicca. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question for you as someone who is or was a... You are, you still are. You don't practice Wicca, but you are still a Wiccan high priest. I'd still technically be um, considered a Wiccan you high are, priest, yes. yes. So um, I, I'm of the opinion as a traditional witch with an understanding of the history of Wicca, not just the practice, but kind of what happened and what was brought into Wicca to establish it as a practice, I'm I'm of the opinion that it it is it's impossible. It is not possible to decolonize Wicca. I agree with that. It is not possible to do that. I in discussions and just interactions I've had mm-hmm. with individuals like Thorne who are saying decolonize, what they're really saying is understanding where these things come from. And if these things come from practices that have requested us not to use them, then we need to not use them and replace them. Example. Okay, but then what do you replace those with? You replace them with things that would be appropriate. So example, like using, using an example. Um, white sage was utilized for some reason in a lot of because well, you know it grows na- you know, it's native to the UK right yeah and so now with it, that it knowledge is, com- it is, it's, it it's not it isn't um, yeah. with that knowledge coming forward and the the indigenous people speaking out saying like hey please don't use that they're now going to have to go back to the utilization of something that would be more akin to what would grow in their area something like, what? like hyssop rosemary something like that you know in Rose, order rosemary isn't native to the UK whatever I mean, would be it's, it's native been cultivated there now whatever but, yeah. would be there that would not be part of a closed practice or considered a closed ceremonial practice okay. that's what they're going to have to do okay catholics stole and took a lot of shit from the pagans yeah and then they rebranded it as catholic yeah and that's essentially what wicca did yeah. what's happening now is the acceptance of what that is in okay. wicca all right replacing what can and should be replaced and leaving what is not necessarily an issue. Okay. So example, another another example would be um, the idea that a high priestess must only be biologically female, therefore have a womb and have to be able to bear children. Okay. That is being done away with because one, that is transphobic. Mm-hmm. That is some turf rhetoric. And on top of that, that's just not, that's not 21st century, man. There are going to be high priestesses who are like, I barely have time for my day job and running a coven. What makes you think I'm going to get pregnant and have a baby? 
Yeah. Yeah. Because it used to be you would have to have a child. That was like part of it was like, you need to have a kid. Like that's kind of what put you over into mother, which is where you would have to you could become a coven leader or a hive leader. Gotcha. Okay. Um, uh, at least from my understanding from the training that I have received. And so, so now we're moving away from that and it is up to voices such as Thorn Mooney mm-hmm. to educate, acknowledge and grow from there. Cause ultimately what you're looking at when you're looking at Wicca as a whole is you're looking at, British traditional witchcraft or English craft that has then been combined with elements of high magic essentially is what you're doing. Okay. You know, the circle is essentially the compass round, which again, appropriated from other cultures, but still. Okay. Well, so I guess my, my question then, okay. So my question then I guess is when do you get to a point with a practice like Wicca a, a tradition of religion like Wicca, when do you get to a point where you've now had to take so many things that were considered original elements? Mm-hmm. Like, basically, this is kind of how I look at it. Like, where every time they do that, every time they identify something that was misappropriated or stolen that really probably shouldn't be included in contemporary Wiccan practice, mm-hmm. right? Every time they identify something like that and they decide to remove it, I kind of look at it as like, okay, well, you've just punched a hole in the liturgy of that faith. You've just punched a hole in the doctrine of your religion. So, and now you're going to try to plug something into that. But how many holes can you punch into that piece of paper before it becomes something that doesn't really hold the information anymore, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I guess that's kind of my take. It's almost like, like I look at this, and, and I'm probably, again, I'm probably picking a fight here, but uh, with this this comment, not with you necessarily, but maybe with some of our listeners, but to me, it's, it's also very much um, kind of what we see in the Norse pagan community. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't really have a contemporary Norse pagan community if you completely remove the white supremacy, and that's what I say. That's when I say I'm picking a fight here because there are absolutely Norse pagans out there. They're like, we're not race white supremacists. We we're not all like that. We're not, and and that's absolutely true. true. There are I, I, we know Norse pagans that are amazing people. They're not white supremacists. They're you know they're they're wonderful people. But when you look at the uh, all the information that has been created, everything that's been presented over easily the last mm-hmm. eighty years or so, so much of the root of that, all of that so much of what was written and is based on Norse practice or Norse practices based on now was the work of Nazi sympathizers, Mm -hmm. you know, people who were actively involved with the third Reich, you know, and a lot of it is reconstructionist bullshit. A lot of it is, is UPG and, and nonsense that was cobbled together from some hastily researched historical records and the theory of white supremacy Mm -hmm. or the Hyperborean race right you know or you know and so and so to me i look at something like norse paganism and i guess this is where i have a huge issue with norse paganism as as norse paganism is a facet of the pagan community is your traditions can't exist without this the racism is a foundation of your paganism and that's how i look at it and like i said and i feel bad about that because i don't believe that all Norse pagans have these issues. I don't believe that all Norse pagans are racist, mm-hmm. but it's there. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, if you take all of that information away, what are you left with? It's you clutching your Mjolnir to your chest saying, my belief has value. And you're absolutely right, it does. But what is that based on? 
what is that based on? Well, again, that would be based on their personal connection with that spirit, right? But but even then, you've got reconstructionism happening, right? And even but with reconstructionism, you still have to have something to reconstruct, mm-hmm. right? There still has to be a blueprint to what you have, right? And I'm done picking on the Norse pagan community because the issue that they have specifically with white supremacy, these kinds of things, that's not just something that we see in the Norse pagan community. No. We're our, even our, seeing the Hellenic our, our tradition is Our tradition is rooted in the Mediterranean and the white supremacy and issues of race and ethnicity and colorism, these kinds of things, they were, they were, that was like, those were huge issues within the Mediterranean and Hellenistic practice. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the Norse pagans. This is something that is, I think, a piece of many practices, but we we have to be, I think, very honest about that when we look at, okay, this is how this practice is evolving, this is how we're changing it, this is how we're trying to soft coat or how we're trying to whitewash or or how we're trying to make this more politically correct, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. I, you know, I'm not trying to say that we don't want to be mindful of these things. If there's something that isn't working, something that is evil or wrong in a practice, we need to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But in the process of doing that, we have to make sure we're bringing something new in that isn't just as appropriative or, and something that will hold the same value or have the same strength to tradition that the prior thing did, mm-hmm. right? In a positive way. Yes. Right. You know, and so that's that's where I'm at with that, and that's where I'm like, I don't think you can, I don't think you can decolonize Wicca. I just, I don't. Yeah. You can't necessarily decolonize Wicca because Wicca was created by a colonizer. Ew. However, I mean, are we all colonizers. However. You can take the rhetoric and the writings and the workings and go, okay, this no longer fits. We are going to adjust this. The archetype of the goddess is just that, an archetype. Mm -hmm. And so because in a Wiccan coven, the high priestess is the avatar or the physical vessel Mm -hmm. for the goddess... Mm -hmm. And the high priest is the avatar or physical vessel for the god, um, whatever that may be, whenever they're doing, and whichever deities they're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is happening in modern contemporary Wicca, from my connections, from what I've heard, is that that energy, that spirit, doesn't care. And it didn't care before what was biologically between your legs or in inside your body yeah it didn't care and they never really have and so because of that the male to female trans individual who is on estrogen is going through the process of transitioning and has gotten to a point where they're comfortable enough standing up in front of their peers and saying you know, I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to work this ritual and call this energy in. Um, it's still going to hold and have just as much value as the Farrar, as Janet Farrar, mm-hmm. who was, you know, a biological woman. Okay. It's still going to hold that much power. Yeah. You know, when you look at the other ceremonial practice, and I can't speak on Norse paganism because I don't know dick about it. I well, I've researched Norse paganism because there was a part of me that really I desperately wanted to understand, understand, and I and I wanted to find you know some. Uh, I wanted to find something there that I could see that was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I've I've studied Norse paganism over the years, and I I just. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, th- and this is just me. If we can take a look at those spirits, as for what they are, 
right? Those gods. And understand their roots on a historical level. It's not the gods. It's much like Christianity to me because it's not really about the spirits or the gods. Like, I mean, if you think, if you read the, the stories, you, you know, are we still referring to Norse paganism specifically? Yes. Okay, if you read the stories of Norse paganism, there really isn't a lot of issue amongst the, uh, well, either, either the, um, you've got the, um, oh my god, my brain, oh geez, the different families within their pantheons, what mm -hmm. were they called? You've got the Vanir the and the Aesir. Yes, um, so, god, thank you, I got like, I'm glad I remember those, anyway, um, but within the stories <laughs> of you, these, well, pfft, it's the only reason I knew God. that. Yeah, the Vanir and the Aesir, um, you know, and so, but within these, um, the stories for these, you don't really see issues uh, blatantly about around issues like things like race mm -hmm. and these kinds of things. You see a lot of other stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. there's issues around like misogyny, patriarchy, classes, and these kinds of things. But, but again, every culture had that in their mm -hmm. mythology, right? Um, and so, um, but in looking at that, don't you don't really see that again? Much like Christianity, it's not the deities themselves that are the issue. It's the interpretation and the action of the believer mm -hmm. that is the problem, you know. And that's that's where I think we're you know we're that that's 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 where I struggle. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you were talking about the the, you know, the indication or like you know like in within Wicca, but not just in within, within Wicca, but these concepts of like divine feminine and divine masculine energies. Um, and I was um, having a conversation or an interaction yesterday with someone along the lines of, of that, and was they it were Tragorn? what was it Tragorn? I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Trigorn. No. No, 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 the divine feminine within it also contains the masculine. Yeah. And that the masculine can also contain the feminine. Yeah. Like we don't have to exist on a, on a binary. Mm -hmm. or, we, or I should say our deities don't have to exist on a binary. Well, nothing needs to exist on a binary, right? You know, and I know there, like, you know, if there are anybody, anybody who listens to our podcast that is kind of of the, the turf mentality, if I just made your head explode, good, you deserve it. But, um, but anyway, but we don't need to exist in a binary, and our spirits certainly don't need to exist mm -hmm. in a binary. Like, we see that in our own practice. You know, we, we mm -hmm. have deities like Diana, who all of her stories, highly feminine energy, right? Very divine feminine energy. She's she's a mother. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, she she has within her these, these archetypes that we consistently associate with divine feminine or mm -hmm. woman energy. But she's, she's a, a huntress. huntress. She's a warrior. She's a warrior. You know, she does these things. You know, she's things that we also associate, or Bad would bitch is what she is. traditionally would have associated more with masculine energies, right? Mm -hmm. And we see the reverse in a deity like Lucifer, mm -hmm. who we're understanding now. Lucifer is definitely non-binary. Yeah. You know, and and we can see this here. You know, within those deities, we see similar stories. Touching back upon the Norse pantheon, we have stories of of Loki, Thor. Like Odin, I mean, all of the male deities within that pantheon all have stories about how they they crossed gender, or they they did something that was outside of this strict male female binary mm -hmm. that many cultures used to you know, used to. You know. And so anyway, so I um, so I'm I'm loving that, and I guess in bringing that up, I'm I'm touching upon that because you mentioned you know the the concept of the divine feminine and divine masculine. Mm -hmm. um, What's your take on, you know, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, if we have a listener that would identify as um, 
you know, like you know, more masculine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in, in you know, in whatever sense, right? Because what does that even mean anymore, mm-hmm. right? What what the hell is masculine? You know, I'm looking at myself right now, right? Like I've got I've got a hairy face. I'm I'm my body's covered in hair. You know, I tend, I'm a very fairly masculine individual, and I'm sitting here with with rainbow holographic unicorn nails. You know, like so, what does masculine even mean anymore, mm-hmm. right? You know, and what does feminine mean anymore? Right, you know, and so I guess in, in bringing this up, I, you know, I was talking about, or I wanted to see what your take was on, um, say, male identifying practitioners um, being or choosing to be like uh, the vessel or to work very closely with a divine feminine energy, you know. Easy. That's exactly what I did when I was in Wicca. I okay. never ever felt any draw to any male deity or perceptively male deity mm-hmm. other than Lucifer. Okay. Yeah. Ever. Okay. No matter what I was doing. Even even when I was working with the Morgan consistently, there were times where she'd be like, Colin Dogda, and I'd be like, Ew. They're like, why do I need him? Yeah. Like you are the creatrix she's, and the destroyer. She's a, exactly. I was like, she's another one that with so many of the, the Morrigan with so many of her uh, her uh, aspects. You know, it's kind of like like she kind of does it all. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's like she's the 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 you know she's the fairy princess. She's the spellcaster. She's the warrior. Mm-hmm. Most you know, warriors. like she's she's also the goddess of like sex and mm-hmm. you know like I mean she like she she like she yeah she's she she's pretty exactly. well covered. You know, she's you know? Good. yeah. Well, there there were times there were times and with my with 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 the high priestess that I was working with at that time, um, she had she she had some some health issues. Okay, um, and these health issues really flared up. Um, a couple days before ritual, and she said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to draw down the moon the way that I normally would, because I am, I, I'm not physically capable. She's like, I can hold space, I could cast the circle, I could do all these things, but she's like, I need you to be prepared to do it. And in my little Wiccan brain, my brain was like, what? Mm-hmm. That's not my job. And so we had to have one of the other initiates step up to because I was the only one who was initiated and qualified to do it. We didn't have any other people who could who could step into her position. Okay. So, obviously, being a gay man, I tend to carry around a little bit more of a feminine energy. Also, if you've met me, my ruby slippers fall out whenever you get me on subjects I love. I, I'm pretty sure our listeners, even those who aren't familiar with us personally, have figured out that you and I are, are both gay. Um, but, so I had to call up one of my students who was qualified to act as high priest mm-hmm. um, and then I was functioning as high priestess and I I I did it we call it in I drew the moon down into me I felt weird at first and all I remember and there's video of this somewhere was as we called in that spirit I was taken over I was ridden and I like stuck a sword into fire and like lit it on and I danced and I was doing backflips this is when I was 450 pounds like I was a big guy and here I was okay doing this shit so this was you and another male practitioner yes and the other Did male you guys performed the great right no, no. <laughs> um however what, what's what's also very interesting about this was the other male practitioner was trans oh cool okay alright um at that point in time, they had not come out as trans, but they always carried that energy with them. You know okay. the energy I, I, I okay. talk about, you know? Yeah, 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 they yeah. carry that energy. And 
because of the initiatory rules, they were not allowed to step into the position of high priestess. So instead, because of where they were at, they were able to be my 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 high priest. Mm-hmm. And now down the road, they have changed their name. They've gone through gender reassignment, okay. all of it. Yeah. And because they completed their initiations, they would now be able to step into that as a full female. Whilst me, who still had a beard, yeah. was still functioning. You were the bearded lady. I was. And I was I was functioning as the high priestess for that circle. Okay. Because it's not the gender or the sex mm-hmm. that places that title on you. It's the responsibilities therein that give you that title. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense you know, to me. Yeah. So it's the high priestess's responsibility to hold the energy of the goddess within them in the circle. It is her responsibility to, well, there, now that we've gotten to this point, mm-hmm. I'm just going to start using gender neutral pronouns yeah. as best as I can. Yeah. It is their responsibility to ensure that everything is structured. It is their responsibility to make sure everyone is admitted into the circle. It is their responsibility to make sure everyone has their roles. It is their responsibility. It's the high priest's responsibility to make sure that they listen to the high priestess, that everything is set up where it needs to be, that they call in that God energy, that they then lead the other coveners into the temple and working area and that they perform the rites and the kisses appropriately. It doesn't matter what kisses. There's particular ceremonial kisses, fivefold kisses, and stuff. Um, Even during COVID, this wasn't during COVID. This is pre-COVID. But this like, is, is this still a thing that happens? Probably. Um, ew. It's not like mouth macking kisses. It's it's different. Yeah, but ew. Like read the witch's bible. You'll figure it out. People's gross. Um, and so. So now, looking back on that experience, for for as much as I can be like, oh, that was not the best experience, as a, as a whole, as a coven, yeah, I can look back and say we were pretty fucking progressive at that point. You know, my my high priestess was was gardenarian, and and we were doing all these things, and didn't matter what was what your what your sex was. It didn't matter. Were you willing to step up and do the work? Were you willing to step into that position? Because and I think that might be what Thorn is getting at is Thorn is getting at it's it's the it's the structure it's the position it's what these things mm-hmm. do and how they work yeah. we can remove the we, we can remove this we can remove that we can remove these elements mm-hmm. and it can still be whole because it's the purpose that's behind it it's the mysteries behind what you're doing that matter not necessarily the act therein Okay. All right. Okay. I, there's still a part of me that, that s- struggles with that a little bit because I, I totally get the, and I, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm prepared to move on from this topic, but I, I guess again, my, my, my piece there is I'm like, okay, I, I don't know how you can put every, every tradition has, has mysteries behind it. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's a legitimate tradition, every, every tradition has mysteries behind it. Every tradition will have lore and mythology. Mm-hmm. Every tradition will have that. Oh, um, to your teacher voice. But now. no, no, no. But uh, no, not at all. Uh, but in the process of trying to practice something, you you have to have something to practice. 
Yeah. You cannot. Mystery alone does not give you a practice. Well, that's not what I was saying. Okay. But it's the it's the act and purpose behind it, right? So, I guess it's okay. I you know it's it's something that it's okay. Like I said, I'm 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 ready to move on from this just because it's <laughs> you're not waking. You, you yeah, I was gonna say I I don't have that kind of thinking. I don't have that kind of brain. I'm just I'm not waking. Well, I, I'm just, I challenge you. There have been changes in our coven, yet our coven is still the same tradition. So. Uh, it is, but but I, I want to say that... So, for, though we have brought those things in and it's changed and that as a living tradition it has evolved, does that still make it any less of the tradition that it was from? In my eyes, yes. Okay, so then why continue to allow it to evolve? Well, because when you say when you say that something is less of a tradition than it was, that doesn't mean that it's less in that it doesn't hold the same value. It's not less in that it's less than, it's just less in that it's changed to the extent that it's no longer what it was. But it still holds those roots and not tether back to it. I suppose, but but none of the components of our tradition are misappropriated or practices that have been, like, that are rooted in classism and racism and misogyny. That's okay. We, we, like I said, we, we, we don't need to, we don't need to go to that. We got super philosophical and I was here for it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Do you think I'm an idiot? Are you disagreeing with me? No, I don't think you're. Are an you idiot. insulting my family? Yes. Which also happens to be my family. So my bother. There you go. Um, Do you have anything else you'd like to discuss on this episode? Um, if you're not enjoying the craft you're doing, you're not doing it right. If you are dreading having to open up that book and read it, if you are dreading having to do anything in your craft because, I just don't want to do it, then it's probably not for you. Or, you know, take a break. It's okay. You can take a break. It will still be there. It survived the Inquisitions. It will survive you taking a couple of days to yourself. I agree with you. I also do want to say that getting involved in, in witchcraft and having a a consistent and empowering practice, that is going to put you in moments where you're probably not going to want to have to do what you have to do. Yeah. And those moments should be rare. Yeah. They should they be will rare. Happen. But it's like, you know, it's like, you, you know, you don't always want to have to get up early and go into work, but you know, you got to build it. You need to pay. Mm-hmm. You need to go in and you got to make that exactly. money. Right. Well, and, and, and that's, that's what I was getting at is it's okay to step back, but how often is this happening to you? Yeah. How often are you doing the, oh, I don't want to, Ugh. if it's becoming that much of a burden on you, just stop doing it. Well, I feel such a connection, really, because it doesn't seem like it. It just seems like you're just dreading it. Does it does, at that, that point, it's become church on Sunday, and it's and it's religion. In that situation, does it? Does it? It seems to me like in a, in a moment like that, like maybe like that. That to me is a, a clear sign. Like maybe maybe you should continue your practice, but maybe you need to find a different, yeah, way diff- of, a different yeah. tradition or a different way to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and that's okay. something that I'm actually surprisingly enough noticing a lot with a lot of Nordic practitioners. Oh, really? Yeah. They're like, I'm just feeling stuck. I'm feeling stuck. I can't find anything that... And it's going back to what you were saying. Like, you know, I picked up this book and I read it. And then I found out that the author was this and had affiliations to here. So mm-hmm. now I everything that I read from that book, I have to 
Chuck. Well, you don't have to throw everything out, right? But you do need to be very suspect about that information then mm-hmm. at that point. And you really do, you do have to ask yourself, like, how much of this do I want to really incorporate mm-hmm. into my practice? Exactly. Well, and then it's just like, I was, I got a wild hair the uh, a couple weeks ago and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to read Buckland, Uncle Bucky's Big Blue again. I'm going to pick that up and read through it. And I started reading through it and I was like, oh Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, Hecate, help me. This is like, I was like flashing back to my first degree exams. I was like, (laughs) this is... It's it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, know, and and back in the day, I loved that. I loved being able to sit down and and read it and do the work and answer those questions and like, oh yeah, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And now I'm like... Well, it's you know Again, it, that is that is a good sign of, of basically something that you know like like the information just it hasn't it hasn't aged well, you know. But again, a lot of that I think actually has more to do with Buckland than a lot of the information that he provided, mm-hmm. right? Because we we understand that that is always the case, right? When you read a book by anyone, you understand that the information in that book is is almost always going to have the it, it is going to have been kind of like. Uh, how to word this? I was gonna say tainted, but that tainted isn't the right word. Colored, um, yeah, colored, or, or 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 it is it is given to you through through the perspective of that person. Yes, I mean we see that even in in the Bible, right? Like people mm-hmm. love to quote the Bible, particularly the New Testament, right? Where they're talking about, like, well, then Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and Jesus felt this way, and Jesus felt this way, and it's like, mm, maybe not, because he didn't actually write that book in the in the Bible that was written by this apostle or that was written by this apostle or and this then translated thirty and, times exactly so you know so every time that information is relayed or shared you're getting this person's perspective yep so when we look at books like like you know a Bucky's Big Blue you know we look at that and I think we we have to to look at that and we have to be very careful about being able to say okay this is where I can see that he changed this in this way based on his own perspective or his own idea of what this was. You know, um, and that doesn't mean that behind that, that this doesn't hold any value. Um, the problem is, is that you have to ha- be fairly well studied and fairly learned in these kinds of things to be able to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think like newer or more inexperienced practitioners run into trouble. Yes. They look at something like, like Buckland's books and they go, ew, gross, you know, because that's their only thing, the only book that they've looked at so far, right? And they don't realize that if you just picked up one or two so that you had a little bit of additional perspective on this, mm-hmm. you could still potentially find something of value mm-hmm. in Buckland's writing. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, when I picked up Uncle Bucky's Big Blue the, the, the few weeks ago, I was just like, ugh. Okay, this oh, again. no, I, I, I agree. That, that, to be honest, that, that really isn't a book that I recommend much these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, if you're wanting to look into, like, Trad Wicca, I'll suggest that. But I always suggest Thor Moody's book, Traditional Wicca First, The yeah. Seeker's Guide. Well, and I think, uh, I mean, I think some of Cunningham's work is Most still, of Cunningham's book, still pretty okay. Cunningham's work is good. He was technically in Alexandrian, I do believe. Um, and then kind of branched out from there and just kind of did his own thing. Well, he was definitely Wiccan, but my understanding from the history there is that he was never, I think, really... Like, I don't think he was ever really, like, formalized, like, as a Wiccan. Like, he was never really formally introduced into a, a, an actual tradition of Wicca because he was gay. I th- well, no, you could be gay and in them. You just couldn't hold a position of power. And that has changed now. Well, thank God. Because that's, that's ridiculous. Witchcraft wouldn't be what it is today without gay men. Exactly. W- women and gay men are the, Leo Martello, are, are the reason that we have witchcraft. Scott Cunningham. Yeah. You know, I thought Raven Grimaldi was gay. Didn't found out. No. Grimaldi no. was not no. gay. Well, I think a lot of people for years have also labored under the idea that Raven Grimaldi was a woman. 
Um, and I almost see Raven Grimaldi was an idea. Oh god, no! I can't count the number of people that if that like Raven Grimaldi has come up in conversation and they're like she, and I was like he. They're like she. Oh yeah, like her books. And I was like, no, no, Raven Grimaldi was a, was a man. Like, Here, let's go. Let, let me let me let's go grab this book. Like, see this picture of the author on the back? Yeah, the mustache. Like, clearly, this is a man. This is clear. Uh, yeah. Mustache is not gendered. Uh, well, um, and nowadays, no. But in Raven Grimaldi's generation, yes. Raven, I assure you, Raven Grimasi used he, him pronouns. Yes. Um, anyway, so, all right, well. Anything else you want to share? Anything, anything not, else not that you're feeling like? No, like, I think we, we, we rambled well enough tonight, I think, and, and in the process, I'm sure we, I probably managed to piss off an entire facet of the pagan community. I think it might um, be really, really cool. We'll if, see which one gets me first, the Norses or, or Norse pagans or the Wiccans. Uh, the Wiccans um, won't get you. They don't care. Um, they have that whole harm none thing going on. Well, so yeah, that and honestly... Like, most of the time, it's... Most of the time, traditional Wiccans stay out of stuff because we're... They're so oath-bound mm-hmm. that, like, they're not going to try and step in and correct because if they try and step in and correct, they might be breaking an oath. I see. Uh, so instead, they just kind of let people live in either ignorance or misinformation until you actually go through the process of an outer court. And then you learn more. Yep. Hmm. I think I'll stick to what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it would be really cool if we get Thorn Mooney on, and then we could actually, like, you could ask her that, like, so, in the process of doing this, you know, I would how? Love, I would love to have an opportunity to have that kind of have a discussion with Thorn Mooney, but I, but it's been my experience that when that conversation comes up, and, you know, and, and in some alternate universe where Thorn Mooney might actually listen to our podcast, um, it's been my experience that when you bring a conversation like that up with most self-identifying Wiccans that conversation doesn't go very well they they get real defensive real quick understandably mm-hmm. because you're, you're being critical of their belief and their practice at that point so understandably but you know but that doesn't really yield fruitful conversation you know so um, you know so I mean while I would have to say while I would love to have an interaction or an opportunity for that I I don't know that that would really yield much in the realm of result so so it's okay it'll be one of those things you know and, and the thing is is like long term it, it doesn't matter i'm not a wiccan it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know they can practice and do whatever they want to do you know as long as they're not bringing grief to anybody else right that's the problem though is that they do yeah can't count the number of times wiccan i've had to go in and have like well we don't work baneful magic that's not witchcraft it's like excuse me bitch your tradition's been around for about 60 years it's People were practicing now. witchcraft long before you, any of your Wicca shit came up. So don't tell me we don't do baneful magic. Mm, well, they also, you know, th- that's obviously not something who's ever been initiated because, as an initiated Wiccan, I can tell you that baneful magic is something that does happen. <gasps> Rule of three. Rule of three, Austin. Didn't exist until the late. S- Wicca karma. Wicca karma. No, nope, gonna didn't get exist ya. until the late 70s, 80s. It's gonna get you. Okay. Anyway, I'm done. And the okay. rule of three is not actually what most people think. It's going to come back to you threefold. It's like, no, it's more about, like, like consequences to your actions. It's more like, okay, oh. so so if you're going to do this spell, understand that you might feel it in these ways in your own energetic field. Oh, see, I misunderstood. I thought the rule of three was that 70s sitcom that had John Ritter and Suzanne Summers. I never remember the third one's name. What was her name? The brunette. I don't know. 
No, wait, that was Three's Company. Never mind. Sorry. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you have something... Joyce DeWitt. Joyce DeWitt. That was her name. (laughs) Or if you want to send us a nasty gram, you can most definitely do that. If you want to... Oh, don't send us a nasty gram, because we match energy. If you would like to learn more about Hecate... I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Uh, Mike and I are doing a Hecate study group starting in June. June 1st is the first class at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I do believe we've made that available online. Um, I, yes. Yes. If not, then I'm gonna so say sorry. Yes. I'm going to say um, yes. And, and Last and... I checked, it had the online available online on it. Okay, if I put that on there, then yes, it's available online. Um, so if you want to learn more, it is it is like 8 classes i do believe or nine, ten, ten? Ten classes ten classes um ten over, bucks each. Over, the, over the course of six months yeah yeah where you're we're gonna be diving deep into hecate and hopefully helping you Ew. um i don't like the way you put that we're gonna be digging deep into, I, don't, no, I don't care for that either we're gonna be digging deep into the history and the myths and the things associated with Hecate. And getting practical. And getting practical. Yes. Um, so if you would like to do that, then please contact the shop at 801-601-1795. We can get you registered for that. Or if you're local, go ahead and stop on in. And if you stop on in, feel free to talk to us about the podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, have a good evening and happy witching. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>